So um, there's this funny teaching story that I wanted to start with because it's kind of uh, in the mood, right, (laughs) of trying to navigate the quote-unquote sort of reopening that is happening. Um, And it's about someone who, this person who is in Alaska, and um, they're really, really, really cold. And they go out to the road and stick their thumb out. And they have a sign that says Miami because they want to go and get warm. And of course, as we know, Miami and uh, Alaska are really, really, really far from one another. And so um, they're waiting and they're waiting. And then finally, a car pulls up and says, hey, uh, I'm not going to Miami, but I'm going to Fort Lauderdale. Hop in. And the person says, no, that's okay. I'm going to Miami. (laughs) And doesn't take the ride, right? (laughs) And the beautiful, like, hilarious part about this teaching story is that um, it's a funny way to sort of think about how we get stuck in needing things to be perfect, right? In needing things to be a certain way. Um, and in doing so, we sort of don't see the opportunities that are in front of us, right? And we lose that creative capacity that we have, um, to vision, right? And to create space around what's happening to us. And I was listening to this, um, to this podcast. It was this woman who had written a book, about the Four Noble Truths, but had sort of like reformatted them into the Four Noble Truths of love, like love relationships, intimate relationships, like the person that you're dating kind of relationships. And um, she was talking about the cycle of passion, right? And that we have passion and then there's kind of a feeling of distance and then something happens and there gets a cultivated intimacy and then back to passion and then and we constantly are in this sort of circle and those of you who um are in any sort of relationship right now know what I'm talking about probably most of you know what I'm talking about because this also happens in friendships right where there's this like intense closeness and then there's some distance and there's intense closeness and then there's distance and then it goes around and around like that it doesn't ever stay the same and her point was that one of the causes of suffering in relationship is the expectation right that it always stay in the passion state, right? Um, And that we cause ourselves suffering by clinging to that part of the cycle. And um, we see this demonstrated in this story about this person, right, who's trying to hitchhike to Miami. The clinging that's happening around Miami, right, prevents him (laughs) from taking the ride that would get him like very, them very close, um, to where they're going, right. To where their, um, the ultimate goal is to warmth, right. Um, the goal was to get warm. And so the, um, but the attachment became to the idea of Miami. And so then that person misses the getting warm. Right. Um, and I wanted to read you this 
thing from Mark Meepo that has to do with this. So um, it's from the Book of Awakening. Many of you ask what books I'm reading, so there's that. Uh, He writes, if you can't see what you're looking for, see what's there. One of the most difficult things for us to accept is that beneath all our dreams and disappointments, we live and breathe in abundance. It is hard when in pain to believe that all we ever need is before us, around us, within us. And yet it is true. Like leafless trees waiting for morning, something as great and as constant as the earth holds us up and turns us ever so slowly toward the light. Our task is only to be rooted and patient. Never was this more painfully true for me than during the aftermath of my first chemo treatment. I was in a holiday inn at five in the morning after 24 hours of vomiting every 20 minutes. I was slumped on the floor, holding the space of a rib that had been removed three weeks earlier and my wife in anger in panic and desperation called out, where is God? And from some unknown place in me through my pale slouched form, I uttered here, right here. The presence of God has never eliminated pain, only made it more bearable. Now when things don't go the way I want, I try to kiss what waits beneath all want. I try to kiss what waits beneath all want. Ugh, that line. Now when the car breaks down, though I get angry, I try to hear the weeds in the ditch as they point me to the sky. Now when the vase drops from my hand and shatters, though I whine, I try to see beneath my reflection in the pool of flower water. Now when hurt, I try to feel my way through the tangle of my very normal reactions into the quiet underlying all experience. Mysterious as it is, no matter our pain or excitement, our drama or circumstance, all that we could hope for is here. We lack nothing. The humble challenge of being human is not in agreeing or disputing the truth. That is as fruitless as arguing against gravity. Our humble way, if we can open to it, is to root ourselves beneath the thousand dreams and excuses that keep us from the ground we walk. Time and again, we are asked to outlast what we want and hope for in order to see what's there. And it is enough. Right? And it is enough. Um, I... Mm, I, years ago, um, I think it's like two or three years ago now, my son came in from outside and I was literally sitting at the table reading Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. (laughs) And my son said, hey, there's smoke coming from Miss Pat's house. And Miss Pat was an elderly neighbor of ours um, who I honestly didn't know very well who lived um, sort of like down the street, just like two houses away, but there was a street between us. And so I dropped the book and I followed him and we ran over and her house was like legit on fire. And 
um, like flames pouring out the front door. I couldn't get in. I couldn't see her. Um, my son stopped a car and had them call 911. Um, and the 911 operator said, check all of the entrances for her. And so I went to the back entrance and Miss Pat was standing in the doorway. She's in her 80s. Um, I, I believe she's passed now. Um, and around her, like the doorway that she was standing in was engulfed in flames and smoke was pouring out. And she was standing there with this tiny little hose and that would like had like three drips of water coming out of it, trying to put the fire out. Um, and I saw her and I said, Miss Pat, run to me. And um, she didn't. <laughs> and I was scared, you know, to go up into the fire and get her. Um, but I did. And she had what's called, um, there's when folks get carbon monoxide poisoning because she had stayed in the smoke for so long, they get this ring of ash and like black around their mouth and it causes the brain not to function function. And she was pretty like unresponsive um, and sort of stuck in place. And so I ran up and I grabbed the hose from her and I threw it down and then I grabbed her and um, the back of her hair had caught fire. So like patted it out and I carried her across the street um, to my where my son was waiting and some neighbors had gathered. And as I was carrying her, she's tiny. But, you know, in an emergency, you have this like um, fierce strength that happens. That's like that wonderful part about our limbic system. Right. The fight, flight, freeze is that we get all of these beautiful chemicals that allow us to do things that perhaps we didn't think that we could do. So I was carrying her and she had her head right here in my neck. And she said to me, I was doing the candles, right? And she was trying to tell me um, that she had made a mistake and that the candles like had caught her couch on fire essentially is what had ended up happening, right? And it's funny because in that moment there... <laughs> could have been I think about it it's we were in this very like base space together right where it didn't matter who she was it didn't matter if she had caught her house on fire it didn't matter who I was it didn't matter um anything that had come before right it was this complete moment of presence uh, that I have only experienced a couple of times in my life, to be quite honest. And this was one of them. I feel very blessed. And in this space together, I just whispered to her, I like candles too. Right. And that it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Because it didn't matter. Like nothing mattered as far as like wrong or right or should or shouldn't or perfect or not. Like what was available to us in this moment was complete and utter presence and caring for the life that's here. There was no um, transactional quality, right, to what had happened at all. I didn't need for her to be like, oh my gosh, you're my hero. <laughs> um, and she... I, uh, she didn't need for me, like, 
um, for me to really do anything for her other than to just hold her and be with her, to accept the life that was there. Right. And I think about this a lot, um, as far as what's possible to us in our relationships, right? Because I think that many times that there's this sort of like expectation, like we started with in the beginning for things to be a certain way that we're holding that sign out that says Miami, you know, (laughs) and fuck it. We are not going to Fort Lauderdale, right? We are tied to Miami. (laughs) Um, But we miss the closeness and the presence and the intimacy that is available to us in the moment. The Buddha, um, when there's a story that when the Buddha would be teaching, right, in these big fields, um, and there would be like a group of folks and he's giving the teachings, right, that came from like a long life of study, He left the palace, he left a privileged life and immersed himself in suffering to learn about what it is like to be human, right? To study this experience of being human and then taught about it and said, there is a way for us to suffer less. Like pain is inevitable, right? But we can suffer less. Um, And it's not uh, um, being free from suffering, right? Or free from pain, right? But more a freedom to feel it all. That's the thing. That's like the key, right? Is that we open ourselves up to the full capacity of our human experience. And so the Buddha would be teaching and um, his trusted assistants, Ananda, which means bliss, right? Of course, the Buddha's assistant was named after bliss, would be sort of like the person in charge, like in crowd control, like in charge of the crowd and, um, Oftentimes, Mara, who is a little demon who brings a lot of unpleasant feelings, right? And things that necessarily we wouldn't necessarily want um, to feel, right? More the Fort Lauderdale sign, the thing, <laughs> the thing we're passing on that we'd rather pass on frustration and grief and anger and, um, you know, all of those feelings that we feel like as yogis that we're not supposed to feel, Mara brings those feelings. And um, Ananda would be on the lookout at the edge of the field and here would come Mara. And Ananda would be like, oh, Mara's here. And the Buddha would just simply say, I see you, Mara. Let's have tea. Right? And in that one sentence, comes this huge teaching about working with what's here, right? In a way that's warm, in a way that's kind, and in a way that's abundant, right? It's another way, like Mark Nepo said, is his wife called out in, the, in the, his darkest moment. I've heard him speak about it before. This darkest moment where he's lying on the floor so, so sick, right? And his wife calls out, where is God now? And he says, right here, right here. And when the Buddha says to Mara, like, come sit, let's have tea. It's another way of saying that God is right here, right? That everything we need is right here, that nothing is lacking, even when it gets hard, 
even when it's not how we would prefer. Right? Even when we're not in that um, passion, like, oh, juicy part of the cycle, that there is still enough. Right. And then the yogis have a story where um, Shiva is meditating and um, a little jokester, a little trickster comes up and says, uh, Shiva, let's play a game of dice. This is a longer story. There's a class called The Cosmic Game where I tell the whole thing. I totally recommend you should go listen to it. Um, But I'm just going to tell a short version because there's a moment that to me, uh, I really want as it makes me cry even thinking about it. But I really this is the takeaway that I really want us to have from today. So the little trickster says, let's play You you should play a game of dice. Um, And because Shiva's contained, right, in just this one being, Shiva has to then make an expression, a manifest expression of himself, which becomes Shakti, the goddess energy, right? And that's what is said in yoga to be residing in all of us is that little slip of the goddess, that kundalini, um, and they're playing the dice game now, the goddess and Shiva, and um, she's winning. And Shiva looks at her and she's like glorious and beautiful. And even though she's beating him, he just is like overwhelmed by seeing like the space in the space between them. It's just so gorgeous that he breathes in and he says, ooh, and then he exhales and says, ma. Right, and that becomes her name, Uma. And it is comes from this like um, gorgeous acknowledgement of what's here, of what's right in front of him. This appreciation for life, right? Um, and that is sort of what I've been thinking about, friends. <laughs> um, using all of these stories to illustrate that. Um, you know, as I've been making and Anna and I together have been making this decision about having classes in person, right? That there can't be one way, (laughs) that that's going to look all different kinds of ways for all different kinds of people, right? Um, but we have to try at some point that this is the new life that we live in. Um, and can we, when things aren't exactly as we wish that we were, is, is, if the sign doesn't say Miami, right, <laughs> can we see the Fort Lauderdale sign and see what's actually here, right? And how beautifully everyone is pivoted and the appreciation for this community And the grace with which we have all like again and again gathered together and made space for all of it and say and whisper to each other that, ooh, ma, right? And sort of revel in each other's enoughness and glory, right? And radiance. Um, And that's my hope because it is so easy, right, to get wigged out like Ananda who's who's on the, always on the lookout, like, what's wrong? What's wrong? You know, <laughs> looking for Mara. 
And instead, even if we have, we're in a cycle where we have feelings in our relationships, we can think about this. I'm going to finish here, but I talk with my partner about this a lot that, um, our parents, right? Ram Dass says, you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. <laughs> and for many of us, we were born into families with parents where we didn't get the parents, right? That, um, we maybe wished that we had. And, um, my partner and I talk about this a lot because his folks don't take care of themselves in the way that he wishes that they would. And they're at a point in their lives where they're experiencing a lot of health problems and it's really scary, you know, and he wants so badly to change them, right? For them to suddenly be smoothie people and <laughs> taking the supplements and treating their bodies with respect. And so a lot of the practice for him is really, truly, uh, can I be with what's here? Right. Can I see what's before me in that like love that gets to exist between him and them and accept them exactly as they are? And what a gift, right, to give one another is acceptance. Like, I don't need to manipulate you or control you or to try and be in the certain part of the passion cycle with you, that I can look upon you and see your light and see your radiance and to just love you exactly as you are. Can you imagine being loved like that and how revolutionary it is? And that's the that's what we're talking about today. That uma, right? That reverence for the love that gets to exist when we are in enoughness, right? When we can accept Fort Lauderdale or Miami, right? When we can invite Mara to tea and not push away, right? The things that we think that we are averse to. Okay. I'm going to pop back into the chat. 